Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. I created this show because I want to transform a million leaders across the world and really humanize the workplace so that people can go to work to do their best work. And I help organizations doing that by helping leaders to become more conscious, more self-aware, more emotionally intelligent. And I'm excited for our guest today. I'm going to be speaking with Dave Hutchinson. Dave is the president of Cause Leadership, and he has been in the executive search field since 1997 uh, with a focus on the charitable industry, not-for-profit. Um, welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you, Kristen. Great to be here. Um, so Dave, right now we're, we're still dealing with a global pandemic, so I always like to start there because <laughs> realistically, yeah. let's be honest, there's a lot of change happening in the world. Um, so sure. how has that been impacting you both personally and professionally um, the last five or six months in this global pandemic? Sure. Well, personally, um, married with a family, so like everybody or like many people uh, dealing with the issues of school or going back to school and and uh, camps or no summer camps and that type of thing. So we've certainly dealt with it that way. Thankfully, uh, we've uh, been healthy and, and as, as well as our extended families uh, have been healthy too. So we've been happy about that. Um, Business-wise, I mean, certainly it's affected, uh, affected us. It's affected our sector, um, which is, uh, as you mentioned, the charitable sector. So um, Things seem to be picking up again, and, and uh, I think organizations are starting to um, determine what the future will look like uh, from a talent perspective. So um, we're you know, continuing to be part of that process and, and uh, hoping to uh, remain one of the solution providers in that area. Yeah, so tell me a little bit around uh, your journey, Dave. What got you from where you are now working in uh, the executive recruitment field, uh, what you were doing before that, and, and um, you know, tell me a little bit around some of the milestones, uh, challenges, and, and wins that you really noticed along your, your career journey. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, well, as you say, I've been in this business uh, 22 years, and then uh, seven years before that worked in uh, the utilities business, actually. Um, uh, at the time, it was a, uh, one of the larger, or largest, I guess, gas distributors for the Toronto area. Um, and they've, they've since been absorbed by a larger, an even larger company. Uh, but um, worked my way through uh, university at this company and, and uh, ended up working with them full time for seven years after school. And uh, but this, uh, this business was a company that my dad had started, um, I guess about 37 years ago now, back in 1982. So um, coming up on 38 years, I guess. Yeah. And um, so I uh, approached him uh, back in 97 and uh, we uh, agreed that I would join the business and uh, sort of went from there. The, um, you know, in the interesting pro process, we the firm really wasn't focused on the charitable sector at the time. It was more focused on uh, the general business community, particularly related to technology um, and other sort of general uh, elements of uh, uh, business, you know, uh, finance and that type of thing, but mostly, mostly tech oriented. Um, and he had done, my dad had done a handful of, uh, nonprofit searches, uh, mostly because he had 
um, colleagues uh, who were volunteer board members with these organizations. And uh, they would need help from time to time to find an executive director or uh, a CEO or uh, any you know, uh, leadership roles. But uh, as I say, probably only a handful that he had done. And then in uh, about six months into my journey in the business, uh, we responded to a CEO search for a charity and uh, we were chosen. And that's sort of what launched me into that um, focus and, and well, and not even a focus at that point because we were still, still doing um, uh, private and corporate sector work. Uh, but over the course of time, uh, probably in 2008, uh, with the colleagues at the time, we decided let's just focus on the charitable sector. And in early 2009, I think we, um, that was probably the, about the last time that we were engaged with a corporate entity. Uh, and have since 99% um, of our work has been uh, with uh, actual registered charities. And where it hasn't been, and it's been only one or two occasions, uh, it's been organizations that were looking for somebody from the charitable sector uh, to work in their for-profit entity. So, but uh, yeah, the majority of our work now is all with registered charities. Um, I've had the opportunity to work uh, Toronto West, I guess. We haven't really done much uh, in Eastern Canada, but uh, certainly provided services across um, uh, parts of Western Canada, right to the coast. So, Awesome. So I, I, you're getting a chance to have exposure to a lot of different leaders. And as mm. I mentioned at the beginning, the, the, the goal of the show is really to help leaders become more self-aware, be more mm. aware of why their emotional intelligence what was sometimes called soft skills in the past, which I've really left that language from my vernacular because there's yeah. nothing soft about it. Right. I think it's the, 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 the most powerful skills and most essential skills. I like to call them the human skills. What do you notice? I, and, and I'm sure when you're getting an opportunity to place leaders into organizations, sometimes see leaders who didn't work out as well, and that could be perhaps mm -hmm. why they're looking for change. What do right. you think, um, when, when you think of inspirational leaders, what are some of those behaviors and attributes you see in the leaders who do really, really well? Hmm. Well, it's a great question. And I, I think it really starts with that inward journey for, for those individuals. Um, and we hear it all the time, you know, leadership could be a title or you could have the title of a leader, um, but that doesn't make you a leader. Um, and unless you have followers, you really don't, uh, you're really not a leader uh, as well. So it's, um, you know, and this is, I think, a journey that we all go through, and certainly I do. Um, uh, you know, we, we have a chance to lead ourselves. I think that's where it starts. And uh, I, I remember uh, reading a, a, a book. Uh, the author had suggested that, you know, if, if you've got no one else to lead, at least you're leading yourself. And, and I think that, um, that's true, and, and I think we forget that uh, all leaders, whether they're CEOs or whether they're um, working anywhere in the uh, organization, because uh, as we know, you know, you can be a leader without a title. Um, Robin Sharma's book on that uh, certainly suggests that that's a possibility. And the, um, the journey inside uh, for ourselves is to determine, you know, who are we? what are we about? What are the things that drive us? And, um, 
and more importantly, how are we going to treat others in the in the process of, of becoming a leader? Um, I love Simon Sinek's um, expression that he's a student of leadership, and and I think that's a you know it's a it's a uh, what do you call it right? positioning yourself I suppose um, in a way that um, doesn't make you the expert, uh, recognizes that we still have lots of things to learn um, along the way. Um, we learn in the, you know, the probably silliest of, of circumstances and, and the most serious of circumstances. And, and yet, um, leadership involves other people. And uh, once it starts inside, it needs to go out. And, um, and that's where we start to build those relationships. So it's, um, it's a journey. Uh, it's definitely process. Uh, I think it takes intent. Uh, and uh, or intentionality, I suppose. Um, and you know, once we get to the place where we are actually leading other people, um, you know, we we can't quit at that point. It, I think we're, there's still a journey. There's still uh, new things to learn, new opportunities for learning them, um, and and uh, yeah, it doesn't stop. And I hope it doesn't stop because mm. in, uh, you know, from my perspective. A lot of people feel this way as well. Um, we we learn through our lifetime, and uh, whatever age we live to, we still have the opportunity to influence people. And I think uh, I'm not sure if it's John Maxwell that says uh, leadership is influence. And if, as long as we're continuing to influence people, hopefully in a positive way, because um, there's certainly lots of leadership that could um, impact people in a negative way. Um, uh, I think we we just continue on the journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's really no getting away from that part. It is going on that inward journey, which can be uncomfortable at times, right? Because it's yeah. being willing to look at yourself and, and notice some gaps that might be there, um, mm. some ways that you might not be showing up um, the way you want to be showing up. Some you might be thinking you're showing up a certain way, but how other people are perceiving you are not necessarily the same, right? So it's being open to that feedback and doing something with that feedback, which to me always seems to come back to that theme that I talk about all the time, which is dropping some of that ego, right? Because the ego can yeah. get very uncomfortable yeah. with sure. anything that yeah. feels. And, and as you start to do a little bit more of that inward journey, it's just recognizing that the ego is just trying to protect you because there's this belief if, if I'm right, you're wrong, that somehow if you are proven to be wrong in some way, that you're going to be annihilated, right? That's what's really right. operating in the background. So it's, it's very sure. interesting when people can, can get out of that ego. And so I'm curious because you get to be in the vantage point where I'm, I'm sure you see some, um, some leaders that may get in their own way without recognizing it. And so what are some of yeah. those um, drawbacks that you sometimes see? Um, it might be the organization is, is telling you what they've struggled with with the leader that they had in the past and what they want yeah. more of next time. Mm -hmm. What do you see, seem to notice can, can sometimes really work against leaders? Sure. Well, I mean, certainly they can work against themselves uh, as it relates to how they treat others, um, the, the way in which they conduct themselves. Um, you know, gone, long gone, I hope long, maybe not so long gone sometimes, as you know, the old autocratic way of leading, that's just, a, that doesn't work anymore. Um, and, and maybe should never have worked, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, um, you know, leading, leading positionally um, becomes an issue. And uh, if you're only leading because of the title, that's, that can 
end up being destructive, not only for the individual, but for the people that they are leading and the organizations that they're working for. Um, I think today, I mean, when you, when we look at leadership, people, you know, we have a, a pretty high meter on whether somebody's being transparent uh, or, uh, or having integrity or um, really trying to be uh, authentic um, or just faking it. And uh, I think most people have a pretty strong sense of what, what seems real and what doesn't seem real today. And I think leadership today does, it requires absolute authenticity and transparency. Um, we talked about failure. I mean, I feel like I fail more often than I succeed. And, and yet at the same time, uh, hopefully uh, we grow through those experiences and, um, and try not to repeat them the next time. But the, um, I think the leader of today and the leader of the future is going to be um, the individual who um, does put others first, does put um, their mission first, if you will, not at their own expense though. And, and you know, we can probably talk about self-care as it relates to leadership as well, because that's, I think that's becoming more and more important. Um, leadership is not for the weak <laughs> at heart. Uh, and uh, if, if you, um, yeah, if you enter into leadership roles, you're going to, you're going to get some uh, scars and some uh, certainly sticks and stones uh, coming your way. And, and that's, it's part of leadership. I mean, it's, it's the hardest part of leadership is when you're, you're being criticized. Um, but even being able to flow with that, um, learn, uh, hopefully learn from the criticism, learn from the, um, uh, again, ideally good intent of others, even if it didn't feel particularly comfortable. Um, but th I think that's the leader of the future, um, is, is making sure that they're authentic, um, putting others and the organization ahead of their own agenda, and, um, and leading... Um, this might be cynic as well, Simon Cynics as well, but leading from behind, you know, leader, the, the leaders eat last concept. Um, and uh, uh, working with your teams in that way. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a, quite a few gems that you just shared there, right? It, part of it is um, recognizing, um, helping people to get on board with that bigger mission, purpose, and vision so that everyone's working towards that and they feel that yeah. meaning in their work that will feel different for each person. Um, but this one comes up all the time. Absolutely. Being willing to fail, right? I can't tell you how many times people are just like, well, I can't. Like there's no failure. It's not a, it's not a possibility. Well, then you're never going to innovate and grow and expand yeah. if you're not allowing yourself to fail and recognizing failure doesn't mean you're a failure as right. a human. It means what you tried failed. But if you don't keep those failures, you don't get to the, the wins that are on the other side of those failures. So I think right. that's such a growth mindset is such a, I, I have a seven and 10 year old and I really, really try to work in that growth mindset sure. at a very yeah. young age so that they understand it's not them when they make mistakes or fail. It's that they're just, they're growing. And that's the, that's the way that you're going to really, really expand. Yeah. Well, and I forget who said this, but you know, failure is an event. It's never a person. Yeah. And, uh, and I think we need to, you know, uh, always, uh, promote that because um, I you know as I say I failed my kids are gonna fail um, and 
yet at the same time, I don't want them to be so overwhelmed by that, that they, they start to see themselves as failures. Uh, it's more just the right. event. Yeah. Right. And I do think to kind of speak to what can be happening sometimes with, like, with kids is that it's come to a place where we see some of this helicopter parenting, which is coming from a good place. They're mm. wanting to protect so that they don't have to suffer. Um, but unfortunately, it's at a disservice because how are the kids going to build resiliency if they don't learn how to work through when things don't go the way they had hoped they were going to go yeah. and, and learn through those yeah. setbacks? When yeah. you actually take that step back and reflect, uh, sometimes my biggest growth and biggest learning has actually come from the setbacks when mm. I'm willing to do the work, which means taking a step back and really reflecting on, you know, how, how might I have contributed to what happened here? What might I do mm. differently next time? Um, what did I learn that I'm not going to apply the next time? There's so much great, great learning, but you have to be willing to take that step back and do the work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's, that can be uncomfortable, right? Um, none of us really like uh, facing our frailties and failures. Um, it's, um, it's challenging. Uh, it, it can be, uh, in some cases, depending on what you do with it, it can be self-destructing and at, at many levels. Uh, but um, it, it, part of it is, you know, what, what were you used to growing up? Part of it is what is the environment that you're working in? Um, and, uh, so what's your what's your current mindset around failure uh, is really going to I think contribute to the outcome uh, either a positive one or a negative one and um, I, you know I've certainly I think we've all had our days where we're just like uh, you know, ready to throw in the towel that was the stupid mistake I've made I'm, you know I'm done there's that response and, and I guess we have those moments in those days where that's the case um, and then, and then hopefully we have more um, and preferably the majority uh, of moments where we say, okay, well, that was, that was stupid or that was uh, unintentional or unexpected, but um, what, what did I learn and be able to step back and, and uh, embrace the lesson? Uh, you know, what is it? Buckley says it tastes awful, but it works. You know, sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have to swallow the, the cough medicine and, and, uh, and, and know that it's going to be better for you in the long run. Yes, absolutely. It's uh, being open and, and embracing the, the teaching. Um, you know, Dave, you are spending a lot of time in talent management. And I'm sure you see things that companies are doing really well and companies, things that you're thinking maybe not the best approach. Sure. So if I were to give you a magic wand and you got to make mm. some changes around how things happen when it comes to talent management and hiring and yeah. recruitment and, you know, creating positive workplaces, what are some of the things that show up for you? Sure. Well, um, you know, I think really important these days is the candidate experience. Um, and uh, so, you know, I can talk about this from uh, a positive perspective. I can also talk about it from uh, points where I've made mistakes in in how I manage uh, a candidate's experience. Um, I can't always say that I've uh, that it's always been what I would have wanted uh, as far as outcomes with particular candidates. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, looking forward and and you know, having a positive perspective on the on the future. 
I think organizations really do need to invest more time in what it is uh, for the candidate to experience their organization. And that could be, you know, just the recruitment marketing that is going on around um, the opportunities at their organization. Uh, and it doesn't matter at what level either, because um, everybody's going to have feedback. Um, it could be at the CEO level, it could be at the entry level. But um, uh, individuals today are more aware of uh, the process in which they engage with organizations. And um, once they've applied and once they've um, uh, decided that uh, the organization was of interest to them, based on the marketing, frankly, based on the recruitment marketing, does the, does the organization then live up to what those values were that were, or at least that were communicated through the marketing side? Um, and that's not always the case, I don't think. Um, attracting talent is one thing, um, but then uh, hire, hiring it and retaining talent uh, over the long term, that's where the real values of the organization become um, much more tangible to the individual. Uh, and frankly, to the marketplace, because once people, once people have a very, very positive experience, then, you know, that's marketing that you could never afford to pay for. They're going to talk very positively about it. Uh, once they've had a negative experience, there's no no amount of marketing that's going to reverse that um, that impression that's left, at least on the groups that they share it with, so or the people that they share it with. Um, so I think that's that's a big piece for me. And um, you know, we're a boutique firm, so I I I don't. You know the decisions I make don't move the marketplace in some respects, um, so uh, it it becomes incumbent on me to hopefully uh, create positive experiences in the for the organizations that I'm working on behalf of, um, and that's certainly what we try to do, and that's our intent. Um, the the other pieces I think as it relates to talent management are, um, and I'm speaking more perhaps from the charitable sector, but I think this applies uh, across sectors, is what are the future opportunities for talent once they're part of your organization? And um, is, there a, is there a way forward for them from a career perspective? And if there's not, I mean, if, if it's a small organization and they know that they're never gonna be able to you know, fully retain this individual forever, uh, is there a point in time in which they they help them um, move in a new direction, um, either within their organization, which would be great, um, or you know, in uh, some circumstances, maybe that needs to be an external move and uh, you work with your partners or your business allies to see if there's an opportunity for that individual. Um, that's, you know, people would say that, well, that's really progressive, uh, but and, and in some cases it, it would be. Um, but it um, it comes back to how do we how do we treat the talent that we have, and if we can't um, if we can't maintain them from a career perspective, what can we do to help them uh, move on? I, I read one example, and I I, um, I think it was from the uh, the book. It was called the the quarter life. Um, Oh shoot, I'm blanking on it. But anyways, uh, the, the point the, the author was making was that um, uh, this one organization, I think it was in California, they were hiring uh, millennials. And 
you know, the stereotypical thought is that millennials don't always stay long term or maybe can't stay long term depending on what the opportunity is. But this organization very purposefully, right from the beginning, identified for them, look, you might only be here 18 to 24 months. Um, we want it to be the best 18 to 24 months that you have, and we're going to help you find your next position, even if it's not with us. Um, and, you know, that says a lot about the leadership of that organization. One, to recognize some of the realities of the market, but at the same time, um, position themselves as a supporter of that kind of change um, versus, uh, you know, just ignoring it and, you know, the, the individual spending the last six months of their time there looking for a new job elsewhere. So anyway, just, that's just an example of, of some of the things that could happen. Um, from a leadership perspective, I guess, when you talk about waving my magic wand, um, <laughs> uh, I think the, the real opportunities, um, are how do we develop people within our organizations? And I see this from a couple of vantage points. One, I see it from organizations who contact us and somebody's been let go, um, so the seat is vacant. Um, it'll be vacant until somebody fills it, whether through a search process with us or through an advertising process. Uh, but, but for whatever reason, that seat's gonna be empty. Um, the other is um, succession planning. Um, and, or the lack of succession planning, I suppose, that's happening, I think, in many organizations today. Um, I feel like the, uh, the solution is actually downstream in many organizations and they just don't recognize it. And so um, having a, an appropriate and active succession plan for organizations today, especially for um, lead, uh, the, the emerging leadership group, uh, I think is vital. Um, uh, I often say that I would rather help organizations find a number two or a number three leader in the organization um, and then groom them to take over the first seat uh, than to always to just do CEO searches, which I'm, I'm happy to do, but at the same time, um, is that the best thing for the organization? Not always. Um, now, in our sector, in the charitable space, that's not always possible. Some organizations just don't have the budget to have a, a deep um, executive suite. And so almost any hire is external for them, uh, which is a reality that they face, but it's not the reality for every organization. And um, so leadership development downstream, moving towards succession planning, um, allowing people to emerge as a as some of the top leaders in the organization, that would be the ideal scenario for I think many organizations today. So that would be part of the magic wand waving right there. Yeah, a lot of really important points that you've shared there. I think um, with leadership and the succession planning, a lot of corporate uh, companies are probably listening to this podcast right now. And so um, I see a, a lot of times that that succession planning is not done in a proactive way. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's really unfortunate because you're not helping the people to develop those skills that will require it. It reminds me of that book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. It's like yes. you have what you need here and then you get to the next level and there'll be new skills. And I think part of that is even actually being covered up with what covered off with what you said in the second part, which is is as you start to do a more career pathing, right? When people come into your company, they can start to be clear around where are those different options because so many people, that whole, I talk about this Peter principle a lot, which is 
amazing individual contributors do not necessarily make great leaders, but they feel like that's what they have to do because the only thing that really is out that they are being pointed to is to keep on moving their way up the ladder. So they just think, okay, that's my only way to grow, to uh, get higher compensation is to go up the ladder, which actually that might not be what they need. What might actually engage them more is to do more of a lateral move and you know, they might be in sales and now they move to marketing or they might be working in admin and maybe it'd be cool to be more in strategy. So I think the more they can start to see those different places that they can move into the organization um, from a career growth perspective will also connect to the succession planning, but also connect to that individual's personal engagement. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, And sorry, keep going. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, when, um, when organizations are able to uh, do that, it also, it has meaningful value to the individual for sure. Uh, But from a business perspective, it has, it has financial value. uh, It has um, uh, marketing value, if you will, within and without, uh, outside the organization. Um, It, it positions the organization better. If there seem to be people who develop their people, and um, and don't squander the talent that they have. Um, the, I think the challenge that some organizations are facing today is that they um, are not able to fully embrace the talent that they have. Yes. And um, and then people become disinterested in their work. They become disinterested in what the organization's about or what its mission's about. And then they they look elsewhere. And replacing people today is expensive, um, not only from a salary perspective, time, uh, a time perspective, reputation perspective, any number of things that uh, impact an organization. So those are other related elements to it as well. Absolutely. I, I mean, one of the things I speak to is the fact that, um, that a lot of the research, when you look at high performance and high potential, um, 80% of them are passive candidates. Like they're already working. They don't need to come to your company. So That's if they're right. going to come to your company, there has to be a lot of reasons, right? That they're going to feel challenged in the work. There's opportunity to grow. They're behind the mission and the purpose of what that organization is trying to do. And so where I, I, I kept noticing it when I was doing a lot of work in um, talent management in my previous role in consulting was that organizations were really saying, we want to have better recruitment process. We want to get more high performers, more high potential. So we want to make sure that we're really um, doing different things to make sure they have the right values, the right fit for the culture, all of that kind of stuff, which is great. I, I, I think that's amazing that they're I'm also a proponent of um, hire slowly, fire fast, right? Too many times it's like rushing through the process. Let's make sure the fit goes both ways. Um, But what can end up happening a lot of the times is that they are not actually, um, first of all, being honest about what the organization is going to look like. So to your earlier one with the employee experience piece. And then secondly, uh, okay, that top talent has expectations from the leaders who are leading them. And then you're not doing anything to develop your leaders, right? So I think it's so important what you're saying is, and it is so costly when you lose individuals, right? So Mm -hmm. great, spend time up front to make sure you're getting the right people, but be very realistic and honest about what the current organization and landscape looks like. And if it's not where you want it to be, being very cognizant to those candidates and your current employees, letting them know, we know that, we hear you, and we're working on it. And this is what that looks like. 
Yeah. Um, the employee experience one, Dave, I, you know, I get so upset when I hear people telling me like, you know, the, the organization is doing a fantastic job in terms of employee marketing and what it looks like to work there. And we're a caring organization. We're empathetic, yeah. room to grow, all of this kind of stuff. And then, so people are, okay, that's where I want to be. That's the kind of place where I can do my, my, my work and feel the meaning and be able to use my talents and gifts. And then they get into the organization and they say, what just happened there? Like the whole, I can't remember that saying, but it's like one thing was offered and then something else shows up. That's a complete yeah. opposite. Bait, bait and switch. Yeah. The bait and switch. That's what I was looking yeah. for. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. The bait yeah. and switch. And I don't understand because it's not serving anybody. Your people aren't going to say. So, so be, be very honest. Use your employee experience and help people understand what it looks like to work there. But it, it can't be aspirational. This has to be something that's, and if it is aspirational, I, I want to see things that you're doing to make changes right away. So those behaviors that are showing up that aren't in alignment, there's right. consequences. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to write a job description and uh, a marketing document about the company. It's quite another thing for that to be the, the realized experience of the individuals who go to work there. Um, and, and, and again, that happens at every level, too. Uh, you know, the, the CEO uh, who comes in to uh, either fix or grow or, you know, at least change direction for an organization they've been given a, a pitch by the board um, and the board has a, a perspective on what they think their organization is about. Uh, and then the CEO gets there and it's like, Oh, I didn't know that. And he didn't tell me that. And, and these are the things that all of a sudden, you know, stop somebody in their tracks and say, okay, I didn't have the whole picture. Now that doesn't mean they're going to leave, but um unless the picture is really, really bleak, but uh, the right leader at least is going to be able to take that information to do something with it. But yeah, so it, it happens at every level. And uh, uh, on more than one occasion, I've certainly had a candidate say, I, I wasn't aware of that. And I can probably say I wasn't aware of it either, but because uh, we had, we had both read the marketing material. Right. It's just, it's really, um, it's pointing to that importance of transparency and yeah. having that high trust that, you know, there are going to be like, admit there are areas where you are struggling. Of course, every organization has parts about their culture that are really positive, And then they have some gaps and blind spots, just as we do as individuals, but be upfront and honest with it. So that individual knows what they're walking into and they can make an informed decision, whether that's a place, you know, there's, there's challenge that comes, right? People like walking into challenge, but they need to know what they're walking into to see exactly. if they're up for that challenge. That's right. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, I mean, most organizations today are, you know, they're imperfect because they're run by people and people are imperfect. And that's just the nature of uh, uh, organizations uh, and, and leadership. But um, even in our imperfection, we have, we can create uh, the correct intent. And then, as you say, it can't just be aspirational, um, but actually put investment into uh, those areas that we espouse as being our values and our, and our mission. Uh, and um, I think as long as people see that there is authentic effort being made to, um, to qualify uh, the reasons that they got there, and then to uh, further, um, you know, put some foundation under it uh, from an investment perspective, and, and that doesn't have to be money, um, but that certainly would be part of it. But um, uh, people see 
what you do, they uh, and they hear what you say, and what you do is more important, right? Absolutely, actions yeah. speak much louder than any words. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The last question I have for you is: um, when you just think about the exposure you've had in terms of different cultures, and um, mm. just maybe a, a company that shows up for you, um, any stories perhaps that might even illustrate that, where you saw what it looked like to really have that human workplace and you saw some of the characteristics of that organization that made them unique. Mm. Um, any company that you've worked for that's, um, that shows up for you when I ask you that question? Uh, do you mean a specific company or, or just a, a generality? A yeah, yeah, it can be generality. Yeah. yeah or if there's yeah. one that you want to get a shout out to because you're really impressed yeah. with what that company does in terms of the culture, feel mm. free as well, but it, it, either is fine. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, an, the organizations that stand out to me um, are the ones where uh, the executive leadership uh, is engaged by uh, the mission of what they're about. And this, this applies in the corporate and private sector as well. I'm, yeah. Again, I'm speaking somewhat from the charitable sector, but the, um, uh, it, st it starts at the top. It starts at the board in some respects um, because they're the fiduciary owners of the organization while they're there. And um, they're the ones who hire the CEO. They're the ones who um, put policies and procedures in place. But um, the, ones, the ones that really stand out are those that are engaged by the mission, are authentic in wanting to make sure that they, um, they truly live up to the values that they have um, put in their marketing materials and espoused in, uh, in, in word and deed. Um, and I think those who, who really take uh, their people um, uh, for, um, from a positive perspective, take their people from a talent uh, perspective, from a personal perspective, from a career perspective, and give them every opportunity to grow and develop and contribute. Um, and uh, I think that's more and more possible today, especially as the marketplace expands and and uh, you know borders shrink, and uh, uh, there's a, a real opportunity to grow our people and and recognizing that they may grow to the point where they have to leave and and be aware of that and accepting of that and then and in fact um, embrace it and encourage it uh, you know I've certainly heard leaders talk about you know uh, we'll grow our people and if somebody else wants to take them uh, and and grow them more uh, then that, that's that's great uh, so uh, but that takes a different kind of leader. It takes somebody who is um, who is really kind of living out the values of what leadership is about today, and um, allowing their people to grow, even if it means that they're going to leave the organization. Absolutely, like that's a, to, a, to me, that's the ultimate leader that you're creating. Is leaders, your really good leaders, create other leaders, and they understand yeah. that they'll lead wherever they need to lead. But when they're, if you give them that opportunity while they're there with you, they will give you their all and be 100% engaged and loyal. Um, so it's it's not about having them for a certain number of years, but and then also when they live in that environment and they get treated in that way, who knows who they're going to bring in? They might leave, but they might right. send somebody else over to your organization. They know what you're all about, and they're also very connected to other high performers and top talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the it's interesting. I heard somebody the other day say they're 
the war for the, the phrase the war for talent needs to be thrown in the garbage um, and I, I don't disagree with that uh, in in many respects um, it's harsh it's harsh language for what we're talking about um, in many cases this is we're not we're not in armies and military uh, apart from those that are in those organizations um, there's a lot is there competition for talent absolutely uh, is the is the potential to uh, to recognize that um, you may not have talent as you said for the long term but you'll have it for the time that you need it uh, i think that's another sort of viewpoint that we need to embrace today as well is that talent's not coming for 10 or 15 or 20 years um, they might only be there for a couple of years but they're going to contribute to what the organization needs for that time frame. Um, I, I think those are some of the things that we need to recognize for the future. And I think certainly for the next um, 10 years or so, uh, as we see the transition of boomers and Gen Xers and the emerging leadership out of the millennial uh, group, absolutely, there's going to be a lot of transition that takes place. And, and many organizations, really need to get ready. Uh, in some cases, it's past the point where they can actually um, not do something about it. They really have to start doing something now. Um, but we're going to see what I perceive is probably one of the largest leadership transitions that uh, the marketplace has faced, both in particularly in the charitable space where I'm um, functioning, but uh, right across the board in corporate and private. Um, and many organizations just aren't ready. And I guess if I had a, uh, I, you know, a call to action for those organizations is that you need to do it now. Succession planning isn't something that you can leave on the back burner any longer. Leadership development is not something that you can leave on the back burner. Um, the, the emerging leadership coming up is going to be 75% of the marketplace in 2025. They're 50% of the marketplace today. Um, you know, give them every opportunity to grow as leaders, put them into leadership roles sooner than perhaps they might be comfortable for, but then invest in them, you know, give them coaching, uh, uh, provide mentors for them, whatever you need to do. Our marketplace really needs that today. And if I, you know, back to your, if I could wave the magic wand, that might be the, the biggest reason why I would propose that um, is just because we're facing such a huge transition right now. Agree completely. I think there's there's a real opportunity to have a mindset shift there. And instead of fighting it and resisting it, just get on board. It, lo it does look different, right? So work with what it looks like. It's, and you know, I'm a big proponent of not generalizing groups. I can't, I can't, I, I, so many times, oh, millennials are entitled. Millennials are ladies. Millennials are lazy. Millennials over and over. I'm like, oh. so let's shift that mindset because that is so much lack. And I can, I can point out to amazing, amazing millennials who have created tons of demands in the workplace that, that everyone is enjoying, right? Saying, I, I say work-life integration is important. I say I want meaning in my work. I say I want purpose. I say I want to go somewhere I'm going to use my talents. They're doing a lot of things to create these shifts and yeah. are also recognizing that they might not, that, that, that they're interested in um, having lots of different careers and that it, it just, things look different. So I think yeah. Um, this happens all the time with generations. People will say, oh, it wasn't like with that. No, it's always, there's going to be different things with every single generation. That's just the way it is. But yeah. instead of resisting it and fighting it, what can we learn from it and how can we embrace it? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think too, the stereotypes really do need to be um, 
you know, put to bed, so to speak, in the sense that, uh, you know, that may be true for a minority of every generation. Um, you know, boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, you name it. Um, every generation, there's a certain amount of entitlement that, that is created. Um, but the majority of people, um, they want to look after their families. They want to live well. They want to have a good job. They want to contribute to society, uh, whether through their work or volu in volunteering. Um, there's any number of reasons um, why all of those yeah, stereotypes need to be uh, done away with. Um, the millennial group is larger than the boomers were by sheer number. They're now the largest living generation. Uh, they are the leaders of the, well, they are the leaders of today, frankly. I mean, at the top end, if they're yes. uh, probably 38, 39. So absolutely. absolutely have already moved into leadership positions um, and, and should be encouraged and developed to move into the top leadership positions. Um, I, the millennial generation is our greatest hope at this point. Um, Gen X, uh, which I'm firmly in at the top end, um, we are representative, I think, of the translation between the boomers and the millennial generations. Um, but I don't think we're there in sufficient numbers, really, to, to be the complete solution. And that's why I think we need to push some leadership uh, out of that top end of the millennial group um, sooner and faster, as I said, than, uh, than perhaps they're even ready for. But but give them the give them the foundation for growing in leadership. I think that's going to set a lot of organizations in the right direction much faster than if they wait. Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful place to end off on today's podcast is let's just even assume uh, positive intent and let's stop the, the, the stereotyping because it doesn't really serve anybody. <laughs> it doesn't. Not at all. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for being a guest today, Dave. I, I really appreciated all of the insight and wisdom you shared. My pleasure, Kristen. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everyone. And if you're not already subscribing to the podcast, you can su subscribe on my website at kristenharcourt.com or as well on Apple Podcasts. Take care, everyone, and have a wonderful day. And let's go humanize that workplace.